welcome to the Advance Your Art podcast, where we talk about the journey from artist to entrepreneur and everything in between. You've worked hard to hone your craft. Now take it to the next level with tips, techniques, strategies, and routines used by successful artists to grow their businesses and careers. Now, let's get started and have some fun with your host, Yuri Cataldo. Well, hello, Irina. Welcome to the podcast. How are you this evening? Hi, Yuri. I'm doing wonderful. Thank you for asking. How are you? I'm also doing well. I am uh, staying inside on this very warm summer day. It is warm, isn't it? It is. It is a bit unseasonally warm, but I don't want to complain because in the next few months, it will be nope. freezing. So. <laughs> nope. Can't complain about this. <laughs> exactly. I Honestly, I'd rather it be warm right now than what's going to happen in February where it's going to be you know, oh. ne- negative zero and snowy. And- so. You're in Boston. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yes. Exactly. So it's it's going to happen. It it may only be a short period of time, but it, it will happen. So so exactly. I will I will sit by the air conditioner and I will keep my mouth shut. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm doing here in New Jersey. Air conditioning, full on. It feels like just humid and hot here. Hot and humid. Bad combination. Yeah. That's kind of, So uh, how long have you lived in New Jersey? Oh, it's been about. 14 years now. Oh, wow. In New Jersey, yes. Yeah. What part of, if you don't mind me asking, what part of New oh, Jersey? Absolutely not. I don't mind. Uh, it's northern New Jersey. Basically, if you draw a straight line west from George Washington Bridge, mm-hmm. I'll be half an hour away from oh, New York City. Very cool. I So I used to live in Maplewood. That's why I asked. Oh, cool. I love that town. Yeah. Love it. They have great, great restaurants. They do. They do. It was, it was okay. a cute little city. So that was 10 years ago. I lived in Maplewood for a little bit. Oh. It was kind of fun. All right. But enough about me. <laughs> no, let's talk about you. <laughs> that's, uh, that's not the point of this one. All right. Let's, so let's start from the beginning on this and how... How do you describe yourself and what you do? How do I describe myself? I am kind, loving, caring. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know, I'm joking. I am a photographer. I'm a branding photographer, uh, founder of Power Portraits, and I also educate small business brands, mostly personal brands, about the way they can improve their branding experience the way people experience and interact with their business has a lot to do with how they present themselves online visually so the copy is important we all know it and we have taken courses with people on how to write interesting emails and stuff like that but then okay so what do people experience when they land on on your website and it's not just about colors and it's definitely not about logo it's, it has a lot to do with how people present themselves, how what kind of pictures they're posting. Are they actually posting any pictures of themselves? Mm. Uh, I can go on for like hours, so I'm going <laughs> to stop here for now. <laughs> okay, that works. All right, but let's backtrack a little bit on that one because uh, 
going to school for photography was not what you did. You went to school for something totally different. No. So, so what <laughs> made you want to study computer science? Okay, so computer science, actually, I wanted to be a programmer. It was my dream since, like, 10th grade when I saw a computer for the first time mm -hmm. and wrote a first basic program program in, in basic, that's the language, programming language back then, that did some mathematical thing. And I was enthralled with the fact that I can control a machine and it looks so complicated and weird and there are keys that my fingers are not used to, but somehow it can do what I want. And I just dove right into it. And it was also a very creative arena. Create, writing programs is a creative thing. Mm -hmm. Very creative, in fact. But it's also tedious. So you have to have a certain discipline in order to follow through. You have to close all the loops. Uh, but it's very creative. So I'm going to stop right there. <laughs> I feel very chatty today. <laughs> no, that's okay. Being chatty is a good thing. It means I have to ask less questions and you just uh, volunteer more information. So um, so it looks like so you went to school for that and then you graduated and started working as a software engineer. How did so how did that first job process go? And then did you stay at the same company for, let's say, nine years or did you go around from project to project or how was your initial career set up? That's an actually a very interesting question. My career is a little weird. I started as a consultant in United States. <laughs> All the way from Latvia, the company that hired me as a software engineer um, brought me here to help with... Um, um, I don't remember what it was, but it was for, for Albuquerque Public Schools, and we did some project on their mainframe, and it had to do with some code. It was very easy. I was I was just so frustrated that people pay good money for doing that kind of work. <laughs> um, yeah, but it was, it was interesting. I experienced United States, and when I came back, for some reason, it appeared to people that since I worked in the U.S., I must be good. So it immediately kind of propelled me to a position that I was not ready for. Mm -hmm. It was a management position in the company, and I was supposed to advise people on technology, which I did. I spent a lot of time researching, and I'm very good at um, boldly, confidently explaining things so people trust me. Um, it's it's a trait my ex-husband did not appreciate. <laughs> but, um, it's, a, it's okay, we're friends now. Um, but yes, somehow it really helped me in my career that I would just take my time, study something, and then go up and present it in a convincing way. And um, that provided fast growth immediately. Mm -hmm. But I didn't want to stay there back in Latvia. I wanted to come back to the United States, of course, legally. So I was looking for ways to do that. And um, what I did is... I applied for a PhD program in computer science in the University of Mexico um, because, hey, I've been there, Albuquerque. I've lived there for, like, what, five months? I know everybody. No. Yeah. Um, but somehow that worked. They, I applied. They approved me um, and even provided me with a scholarship. So basically here I am traveling across the ocean. I probably had, like, $1,000 in my pocket. Maybe. Maybe. I, I'm stretching it. I don't remember. <laughs> and a suitcase. And yeah. I did not plan to come back. 
And when I showed up, all I had was basically just that. And one of my friends provided me with a car for three days. And I stayed a couple of nights with my other friends. And then I rented an apartment. And I started as a TA, teaching assistant, mm-hmm. in the computer science department. And when I saw what they teach, mind you, I did not get any education in the United States. And my English was awful. <laughs> People would ask me, how do you like our mountains? And I would say excitedly, oh, they're terrible. <laughs> and what I meant to say, they're terrific. Yeah. They're very close to each other, right, these words. Anyway, it was it was complicated. And when I fi- found out that I'm supposed to teach a bunch of American students in their language, things that I can't even pronounce in English because I don't, I've never used these terms in English. I was learning the entire thing from scratch this time in English. That's what was happening. It was funny. Uh, no, it wasn't funny. It was fun. <laughs> uh, it's funny to it's funny to think and while looking back right now, what's going on? Yeah. I was just basically stumbling through and uh, maybe crying myself to sleep at night, and in the morning showing up with a smile and doing it again until it became easy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, at some point, I decided to go back to Latvia for a while. I got married by then and um, wanted to start a family, so I came back and did some work in Latvia once again on a few rather visible projects for the government. It was very exciting and uh, I felt very validated because I felt like I have some some influence and I was doing things that I, if you told me a year ago I would be doing and be like, no, you're nuts. No way anybody will be hiring <laughs> me to do that. But yeah. it happened somehow. Again, just this whole transitioning back and forth. Somehow people were impressed with the fact that I'm going to America or I'm going to or I came to America and I'm doing all these things. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess it kind of is something. I, I felt like that's just what I do. I don't feel like it was hard or anything. It was definitely mm-hmm. hard looking back. But yeah, that moment, it was just, well, we're doing that. Yeah, I guess we're doing that. OK, <laughs> <laughs> sure. That makes sense. Yeah. All right, great. So then along this route, you got interested in photography and then started a company on that. So what was that process like? Like, What first got you interested in photography and what made you want to suddenly stop your career and start something brand new? There's zero logic to this, by the way, Yuri. Um, I was... 15 or 13, I don't remember when my daddy gave me a camera. It was a small, tiny little Soviet camera called Smena. It looks like a box with a hole. There was no zoom, nothing. There is no aperture, shutter speed on the camera. It was as simple as possible, literally a box with a hole mm-hmm. to put film in it, and it created pictures. Um, and then Soviet Union broke up, and it was hard to get stuff when it broke up because Latvia is a tiny little country mm-hmm. and every supply store, uh, photo supply store got shut down. So I basically just moved on with my life and went to study computer science. Next best thing, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> when I was here in the United States, I was just basically friends with somebody who owned a DSLR and I remember I borrowed it and played around with it and it was fun. And then one of my friends told me, you take nice portraits. Oh, by the way, why don't you try selling your photos on stock sites? It's a nice way to make a living. Here's a guy who makes like $10,000 a month. Oh. Uh, 
I was like, really? He may, and I looked at his pictures and it sounds like I can implement that. Sounds like I can learn to shoot that way. And I started shooting for stock libraries. Now, stock libraries are interesting. Mm-hmm. They are so brutal and rejecting anything that even, even remotely is of bad quality, bad composition, a little bit of noise, a little bit of uh, machinations on the computer in Photoshop. They see everything. So if the pi- picture is not good enough, they're not accepting it. But what they do is they write you back a pretty detailed review of what is wrong with the picture. And it was like best school ever. (laughs) I've learned so much taking crappy photos for stock libraries, Mm -hmm. uploading them, receiving feedback, going back, trying it again. (laughs) It's insane, right? It sounds Mm -hmm. insane. So that was my photography. That's how my photography education started. Oh, wow. Yeah. Eventually, somebody asked me to shoot an assignment, and I was like, I'm not going back to the stock libraries. Earning 30 cents per download, I can make $500 just from a day of a shoot. Mm -hmm. Why would I do that? So I stopped. (laughs) You had a question? Sorry, I'm just chatty today. Wow. (laughs) No, it's quite all right. Um, So, yes. So your work early days as a photographer while you're learning, taking photographs, for these stock companies, was that while you were still working? Still working. Okay, so this is like this is on the side weekends type of type of thing. Completely on the side, with a baby growing up, with a commute to and from New York City every day. Somehow, I would find the time, and yes, I didn't sleep enough. I would sleep on the bus a lot. <laughs> I totally understand that. I do that myself. <laughs> So, so, okay, so you're commuting back and forth. So what what was that moment where you decided that you are not going to do photography as a hobby, but going to do it as a career and start a company from it? That was simple. I got laid off. Okay. I got laid off, but I was hoping I would get laid off. I actually was dreaming of if as if, and if I, I felt very cushy in that job. I didn't feel like I would ever get laid off. Nobody ever got laid off from that company, not that I knew of. Yeah. Until the collapse happened, the financial market crash. And this was the investment company. So obviously, a lot of people got laid off. Um, but yes, I was dreaming of the day. I was like feeling, what if? I got laid off and I wouldn't have to make this tough decision because I wanted to start my own business. I yeah. wanted to go on my own. I wanted to challenge myself and see how I can create and attract all the right customers and just create and grow this business. I've never done this. Nobody I knew in person from Latvia ever done this. They were all Soviet people. We were brought up in a country where there's no business. Those just bribes. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know. And um, as a kid, you know, I'm not exactly an expert on that. But what if I got laid off? They give you a nice chunk of money to go Mm -hmm. with it, (laughs) to cushion the blow. Mm -hmm. And you go home and you have all this time in the world. You have that money to last you a few months and you can really give it a try. And when it happened, I swear, I wanted to kiss and hug all these people who were firing me with these Faces, they, you know, they're gray faces. They're stressed. They hate doing that. Mm-hmm. 
right? So they're sitting there, and I'm just, I can't, I'm jumpy. (laughs) (laughs) I want to go. I want to hug everybody, tell everybody goodbye, and go home and start working on my business. It was was one of the most exciting days in my life. (laughs) So that's how it started, literally. Wait, so I have to, I have, I have to backtrack. Zero education. And zero education. Go ahead. Oh, so I have to backtrack one second um, because I'm going to forget if not. So you made an offhanded comment that during the financial collapse, you worked for the the investment firm. So were you working for Bear Stearns at the time? No, but they okay. were across the street. <laughs> <laughs> they were gone first. Okay. Yeah. So, so you were right. I, I you were, a few weeks later. You were right after Bear Stearns? Yes. Okay. Yep. All right. Well, we'll go on from there then. Um, okay. So so you were – they give you a severance package. You went home. And then so the photography business itself, did you just jump into it and start taking photographs of like uh, like larger companies? Did you already have a portfolio of clients built up? Were you reading books to get this going, or how was that? What was that process like to officially get this off the ground? There was no clients. There was nothing in store for me at all. Looking back, I have no idea. I think it was a midlife crisis if I ever experienced that. I don't remember. I'm usually a pretty happy person. Mm -hmm. So it's really weird that I did that. It's completely illogical, but it happened. I think I started reading books on running a photography business after I got laid off. Mm-hmm. Because before, I would just shoot and spend my nights post-processing the photos, learning the Photoshop. By then, I took some courses from people. There was this fashion photographer from United Kingdom. He mentored me a little bit on <clears throat> how to work with models. And I tried shooting regular people. I saw how big the difference is and how it's impossible to direct regular people. Sometimes, you know, models kind of know what they do and they know they look good. So they just kind of wiggle around in front of the camera and it's worked. Um, but regular people show up and they're frustrated and they're scared. And yeah. I'm uncomfortable too. And I'm an introvert. Mm-hmm. So that was, I, I never thought I would shoot people. Ever. It's kind of weird, the whole yeah. thing. Together. Okay, so you were so you were reading a book after this and started. So how did that? So how did your business evolve then from the early days to what you're doing now, more on visual branding? Like how did you decide that was your niche? Okay, that's a very simple answer. So how I started, the first question is, I started networking like a crazy person. I went on Meetup.com and I found all. All and any groups that were coming together to network as businesses, and mm-hmm. I just went up there and I met people. And I was I was not charging enough, and uh, I wasn't good enough either, so that's okay. Um, but I got enough business to support myself during that transition, and I also rented a studio space in a hip town of Hoboken, which was cool and it definitely uh, pleased my ego uh-huh. for. Two and a half or three years, I had an actual studio where my clients would show up. Some of them did not like the building. Some of them <laughs> loved the building because it's so artsy and hip uh-huh. and weird. Um, that's how I started. Networking was big for me. Okay. 
and um, how I transitioned into the branding photography, that was very simple. So eventually I understood that networking is best in the communities and masterminds. Mm -hmm. So whenever I would take an online course, I would make sure that that course has a Facebook group attached to it where I can meet people. I would not take a training online without that doesn't have a Facebook group or any kind of life support and somebody cheering on behind the scenes so that people actually are encouraged to connect with one another. Okay. That was a very, very important decision that I did, and I think this is one of the advices I would give to anybody. Just make sure you're part when you're getting educated, make sure there are people you can learn with and connect and, you know, commiserate. Mm-hmm. Why? And, uh? Why? Because this was my transition from networking in person with a whole room of people who are very unlikely to hire me, maybe 2%, mm-hmm. to, tr- to transitioning. Trend, what? I, I don't remember how I started the sentence, but basically, um, right now, all my networking is online. Mm-hmm. I am constantly taking courses to learn something, and I am a part of these communities where I participate. As a person, we connect on a human level, and these are all entrepreneurs. They're, these are people like me. They're business owners. They're trying to, to achieve something, um, achieve, achieve some goals, and they are my target market now. Mm-hmm. And this was the way they became a target market because I realized that these are, these are my folks. These are the people who I'm connecting the most with. These are, these are the people who I can help the most with. Forget about photography. Mm-hmm. I can help them a lot. I know so much by now, and I can encourage them, and I believe in them because I've done it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's like easy. One day I basically woke up and realized I'm not shooting anything else anymore. That's all I want to do. I just want to do power portraits. Oh, and then a friend of mine and, and a colleague and a client, I don't remember which was first, she helped me come up with the power portraits. Mm-hmm. A little bit of a brainstorming there. Yeah. Okay, so so power portraits, What what's that and what's that about? Power portraits are powerful photos of entrepreneurs, basically anything that propels your business forward, that creates the connection, empowers your connection with your audience. When they look at the photo and they see enough information that lets lets them subconsciously like you more, connect to you more, relate to you more, because photography has this power, untapped in power. Again, stop me when I'm two hours into this lecture but photography has this amazing power to connect people Mm -hmm. and most of us you guys them don't know how to harness that power Mm -hmm. power portraits are created with that in mind so basically when i when somebody's hiring me i make sure i know everything about them and their business that i they're willing to share and everything that i can possibly collect on their audience their market and then we create these connections basically evaluating everything from what they like from their age groups uh, to um, where they hang out and what their values are mm-hmm. and then we create these pictures portraits power portraits boom I love it I still get good thumbs <laughs> so so when you say power portraits automatically I automatically assume that means that you are taking a portrait of the entrepreneur in various settings, but it sounds like you're doing more than that. Like it's 
It's more than that. But basically, yes, they're portraits. I also throw in things like we should, we should some props for their social media. They're good, yeah. good, good images to use. And they're very easy to create for me um, as long as they have props available. It's kind of just one of the benefits. But we focus on photographing the entrepreneurs. That's why I'm focusing on personal brands. These are brands. These are mm-hmm. the people whose face is representing the brand, whose personality who is a spokesperson of a method, uh, whether they're a coach or even photographers. Photographers are personal brands. Mm-hmm. We got to put ourself, uh, uh, out, ourselves out more. If you go to a photographer's Instagram, it's going to be beautiful, great photos and stuff like that, but there's so little about them. Mm-hmm. Who is this person? You know, everybody wants to know. Now everything is about connecting to the person behind the brand. Nobody wants to know about the business until they find out who is running the business. Hmm, interesting. So, with these then the portraits, so do you? Is this a like a a ongoing process that you know these are taken once a month or once a quarter or once a year, or is it you just do one series and then they go from there? Uh, I usually try to capture. And some of these sessions last half a day, some, sometimes longer, depends on what they want to do. But usually I try to capture enough images to last them a good several months. It depends on how active they are on social media. For example, if they post twice a day on Instagram every day of the week, well, we, they need a lot more material. And also, they combine it with a lot of other stuff. It's not just their photos. Mm-hmm. It's inspirational quotes, it's graphics, it's whatever whatever comes, whatever the strategy is. Um, but typically we cover pretty well. But I do have a few clients who are repeat clients and they come back every quarter. Mm-hmm. Those are very active on social media and they constantly have new ideas on how to promote, how to present themselves. And it's an ongoing process with them. I actually created a separate separate product for those people. It's in our inner circle. Mm-hmm. They basically pay membership membership fee once a month, and uh, once a quarter we have a photo shoot. And by then, I know them already. That's the thing. It's only for the current clients who have already done a power portrait session with me. Okay. I've photographed them. It's easy for us to put something together. I know what they're like and their personality and their brand. So, yeah, we just come up with ideas on an ongoing basis and shoot them. Yeah. It's, it's okay. cheaper for them, and it's good for me, too. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> so as, as somebody who focuses on, on van, um, branding and visual branding, what are some, what are some mistakes uh, that drive you nuts that you see people doing on – you know, social media or Instagram or any of those those sites um, that could be easily fixed. Um, they don't really drive me nuts. I've been there too, so I just feel you know like we <laughs> where we we should be, and uh, yeah. we are all growing. And a year later, they're gonna look at their mistakes and see what's going on. Um, I'm mostly on, on Instagram, on social media, and okay. I see people taking, well, horrible selfies is a one thing. Mm-hmm. These live Insta stories or live Facebook videos where a person is taking a shot from like a bottom of their face, mm-hmm. where you can see up their nose and see all their chins and everything. It's just, oh, it's so bad. Like, why would you, like, people don't like seeing that on their screens, and that's why they're not watching your Facebook live. Mm-hmm. So learn to 
learn to take great selfies and use the same technique with your presentations, with your, with any of your live presentations, whether you're doing a webinar or coming online on social media. That's one thing that is so easy to improve. Um, yeah, that selfies. We can start yeah. with that. Okay, so and, let's, so let's start with selfies then. So how do you, how do you take a good selfie? Like what what do you do? to ensure that you take a good selfie. It's funny that you ask. I actually have a training on this. Um, basically, you start with the light. Okay. First things first, figure out the lighting. Don't make yourself look like you're a ghost. Some people put a lot of light on their face and use a dark background behind them. The camera doesn't see so much range in con and, in, and, and contrast, right? So we need to make sure that our face and the background are kind of in the same, not color range, but lightning-wise. Lighting and uh, that will make all these washed-out faces disappear, all these ghosts disappear. But it needs to be well lit, ideally in front of the window. Okay. Ideally, or just get a couple of soft boxes with some cheap uh, lights. They're not that expensive nowadays because every single brand out there who's in, in photography is producing lights nowadays, and there's a lot of really nice Chinese companies that are making um, lights for big brands like Manfrotto, and this, on this, at the same time, they're making their own lights. They look a little bit different, but they're the same brand that makes Manfrotto <laughs> stuff. It's like insane. Yeah. Very cheap, very affordable. Put it in front of your desk, wherever you're doing those lives, and fix the lighting situation. Mm -hmm. That is the number one thing. And then, of course, there's a composition. How far are you from the camera? A lot of people are just so close. It's like, um, it's my, my, my screen is 27 inches. It's too big. <laughs> um, right so the angle is important obviously if you're shooting from the laptop you need to prop that laptop up it's just not going to work when it's low mm -hmm. so it's so either way is it better to hold the camera higher like above eye level and shoot down a little bit more like straight on yes is there, or is it just kind of depends on your face it depends on your face. So, for example, some people have these cute little faces with, like, small chin. That's not me. I have a nice chin. <laughs> <laughs> the small chin, you know, kind of lowers it down. Triangular face where they have a big forehead and mm -hmm. small chin. If they use, if they shoot from the top, they're gonna, it's going to just get even more distorted in, in, in that same direction. It's not going to be good for them. Mm -hmm. So they actually need to make sure that they position the camera right in front of their face. Hmm. It's it's all about the face, yes. I like to shoot from the top because it makes my chin look smaller. That's hmm. the goal. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> and obviously there's no no uh, triple chins, uh, nobody's looking up your nose, and typically we just look somehow better from if the camera is from the top. Most of us, not everybody, please. Sure. Most of us. <laughs> Most look better, okay. Okay. <laughs> That, that makes sense. So if somebody listening to this um, was interested in giving their personal brand a boost on Instagram or starting to use Instagram, what are some like quick suggestions you would have that would get them on the right foot? 
take a course on Instagram for businesses. There are several ones out there. Um, Which ones do you recommend? Okay, so I love Tyler J. McCall's um, Followers to Fan Society. This guy is great. Mm -hmm. Um, He has a Facebook group too. I actually purchased his membership, his lifetime membership. And there's training. He teaches on how to use this for business. He goes very deep into identifying your ideal avatar, figuring out all these things, like their values, their 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 social graphics, all, all these graphics. <laughs> and um, basically helps you create a strategy that is unique to your business that allows you to grow and connect with the right followers. Mm-hmm. So it used to be that on Instagram it's important how many followers you have. It's not important anymore. What's important is how good of a quality are your followers and how well they're connected with you, how they engage with you, with your posts. Are they watching your stories? Mm-hmm. Basically, are they buying what you're putting down? Are, you, are they picking up what you're putting down? <laughs> right. right. So in so with that, like in engaging with your followers on Instagram, um, are there are there best practices that you do, let's say with hashtags or with like the Instagram stories themselves that Absolutely. help engage your followers and also increase your followers? Yes, they increase. They will come. People always come. Obviously, you need to use hashtags. Hashtags need to be researched. If I go deeply into it, it will take me about half an hour to explain how I do hashtag research. Yeah. But you need to be smart about hashtags. You can't just use whatever is popular. Nothing big. Nothing that's over basically 800,000 um, posts in it. Oh, it, why is that? Otherwise, it's just too big. Nobody will notice your post in there. Oh. No. So you don't – do you use an app when you choose your hashtags or, or each post you're individually doing hashtag research and not, not outsourcing post? that? No, sometimes I outsource. Yes, VAs are great at doing this kind of research because yeah. I have that technique in, in on paper. I can give it to anybody and they can do it. Um, basically, no, I have uh, several collections of hashtags that I create and every once in a while I go over them and dump a few that grew too much or <laughs> uh, see what maybe something else pops up that's trendy in my industry and add it to the collection. I store them in my notes app on the phone and whenever I make a post, I basically go in and copy paste it. Mm-hmm. Ooh, interesting. Okay, so what else? So nothing above 800,000 800, you said? 800,000, yes. After, okay. after that is just too much. Okay, what else? And um, So the hashtags are important. There's a lot more to it than what I mentioned, but just the brief, just briefly. Yeah. Um, it, stories are huge. A lot of a lot of people start watching stories every day. Instagram is picking up in growth. It went from 800,000 users mm-hmm. in November last November to 1 million. Wait, I'm sorry, 800,000 or a million? I don't remember the numbers exactly, but it grew a lot very fast in the last few months. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of people realize that Instagram is basically an open market. You know how on Facebook you can only talk to your friends mm-hmm. unless you're a page and you're doing advertising? You are basically there with that closed network of people who already follow you. That's it. 
You can't reach a wider audience. You can, yes, but not really, unless you put out something viral, which is unlikely. And on Instagram, with those hashtags and stories, the geotagging, you reach a lot more people. So when you're strategic about it and make sure you geotag your every post and your every story, mm-hmm. you show up in a lot of feeds. People find you, they discover you, they follow your stuff. There's a lot of those follow on follow. It's still happening. It's going to die soon. But um, a lot of people stay. Yeah. And if you put out valuable content as a business, if you're dedicated to uh, giving them something, what to do with your product, how to use your product. I mean, if you're into producing exercise gear, then you're doing training tips, running mm-hmm. tips, whatever, whatever they're into, whatever they are looking for. It's very easy with recipes in food industry, right? You just put out nice recipes. Right. There is never enough. We will never run out of creative ideas on food recipes. They stay. And that's how you grow and you connect with them and you engage with them. You have to go back and follow them back and have a conversation with them. I love Instagram for the fact that I can, as soon as somebody follows me and I check their profile and they appear to be my ideal market, mm-hmm. send them a quick video message via Instagram, via DM. They're so surprised. People are so not used to this. Mm-hmm. They find it fascinating. It's it's so easy to stand out on Instagram right now. It's unbelievable. That's why oh. it's so fast. Yeah. I, I didn't realize you could send someone a video message. Oh, yeah. Follow me on Instagram. I'll send you one. I, I definitely will. Well, that's how I – so for this podcast, I look for various hashtags, and if there's some people that I see doing interesting things, I will follow them. And unfortunately, I have to wait for them to follow me back before I get some of the messages. But um, actually, wait. I think I can. I think yeah. I can. You can message them either way, right? You can send them messages, yes. Yeah. And people who are serious about managing their Instagram, they check their incoming messages from yeah. home. Yeah. So I've gotten – it's not a lot, but – you know, I would say 50% of the people that I reach out to do answer my initial just conversation with them. And, and then some of them, those do go on to be on this podcast, which is a lot of fun. But uh, but yeah, I'll definitely follow you because I didn't realize that you could do a video message, which I think will make my messages stand out even more. Definitely. Oh, that's going to be good for you. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So that's that's a good, I think, good place to, to start. And then... Um, are there, uh, were there, are there beyond the training course you mentioned, were there books or just other resources that are just too good to pass up for people who want to get better at either their personal, you know, either their branding or to get better at Instagram in general? Okay. I have an amazing book to recommend you. Hang yeah. on a second. Let me get it. Okay. <laughs> I found this book in the library by complete accident. And when I actually looked through it two days before I was supposed to return it to the library, I went and bought it immediately. It's a gem. So the author, there are three authors, so I'm going to start with the name Instagram for Business for Dummies. And it's by Jen Herman, Eric Buto, and Corey Walker. Mm-hmm. And the book is as dense as it gets and it's very specific to running Instagram for businesses and it covers 
so much more than I can even begin with. It's great. Mm-hmm. However, it's good for now. So whoever is <laughs> listening, if they want it, if if they want to start an Instagram now, go get it, read it. Don't wait one year. In a year, who knows what Instagram is going to turn into? Okay. It has been changing so much. All of a sudden, there's IGTV. I was thinking of starting my YouTube channel. Now I'm just doing IGTV. Forget about YouTube. Of course, no. you can't search on IGTV yet. Okay. YouTube is a huge search engine. Right. There's a difference. What if in a year Instagram is becoming a search en- search engine? It already is with the hashtags. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Interesting to think about it. It is interesting. It's so I have another question about your Instagram account because uh, apparently I was already following you, but I just made sure I just uh, fixed that. But um, on your posts, you put a lot of words in there. I do. This so is my does that does, uh, does that mean anything? Is that like a does that help or hurt your you know, or is it just dependent on your business? I'm a storyteller. Okay. So I put I put long captions to my posts. People expect those stories. Images by themselves only go that far. Mm-hmm. If you are one of the fine art photographers, you can totally get away writing no captions or just putting a word there or a feeling. It's totally fine. Mm-hmm. Some people put a poem in there. I like to tell stories. I tell stories of my clients. I tell my own stories. Or I give them tips on branding. And that requires a lot of copy space. <laughs> That's what I do. Um, yeah. Yes, you can debate that they're too long, but uh, you know my audience will read it, and they do, and yeah. they respond. Well, great. Hmm. Great, great. So, you know, with with your journey from, you know, your previous occupation to being a photographer, also then a photographer who who is comfortable both in front of and behind the camera or getting to that that way, there has to have been have to have been times where you were scared and fearful about putting yourself out there about this new transition. Um, so in, in those times in your career when you feel apprehensive, how do you push past that? At some point, you just stop reacting to the apprehension or fear. Um, it's just a part of it. It never goes away because if you keep pushing yourself forward and evolving, there will always be something that you're doing for the first time and you will always be nervous. It's a good thing. Mm-hmm. If you keep being nervous, that means you're doing something right. <laughs> In my world... <laughs> Um, I've long gotten used to being nervous. You know, I was in a position of teaching 40 American students without knowing much of an English or even how to explain what I just written on the board, and I was fine. They, some of them, most of them stopped showing out, showing up to my labs, but it's okay. I'm alive. I made friends with some of them later. I, I got better in, with my English. It's sometimes I still have bad days where I, where I feel like, where, where what's going on? I'm, mm-hmm. I can't explain what's yeah. going. On. <laughs> I can't express myself. Let's get better. <laughs> For sure. So, what would you say has been the best investment you have made so far? Investment in myself. For sure, all the education. You cannot 
be great at teaching something before first learning something. You mm -hmm. cannot be an amazing life coach without having a life coach. You cannot train anybody in anything without first experiencing having a trainer and continuing yourself. Like the best trainers, even in fitness, mm -hmm. they have own trainers. Um, so investing, like same thing with online businesses, whoever is creating digital products or anything like that, mm -hmm. they first have taken courses on something. They have had mentors. Without having that kind of, you know, without investing in yourself, without putting out money to learn the skills necessary to take you forward where you want to go, mm -hmm. it's going to be a very slow process. You're going to be 98 looking back and like, that's all I've done? <laughs> so, yeah, so with, with that, what have, what have been your favorite online classes to take or... Uh, most memorable mentors? Oh my gosh, so many. Wow. Okay, so my favorite mentors online are James Wedmore, Amy Porterfield, mm -hmm. um, Stu McLaren. Um, I love Michael Hyatt, the way he's um, teaching people to build a flat platform. And I love Mark Schaefer. He's written these amazing books on also how to become a brand. Mm -hmm. One of his books called Known has changed my life. I remember I was out for a run and I was listening to, to his book and he said something that was so powerful about the way we identify ourselves. Sorry, I have to <clears throat> clear my throat. <clears throat> About, about the way we identify ourselves as a business, but from perspective of people who were marketing too. Um, it's hard for me to explain. He's so good at explaining things, and yeah. I've been following him. Whenever he does Facebook Live, if I catch it live, I show up and I listen to the end. The guy is just a genius. Yeah. There's so many people out there that I follow. I, that's just off the top of my head. <laughs> oh, sure. No, that's, that's, that's good to know, and I will... Uh, we'll put links to them in the sh in the show notes. So okay, thank you so much well, for we're it. gonna love it. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, that's great. So, with everything that you've done and throughout your career, what would you say has been the best advice you've ever received? Okay, so the best advice I think I have ever received was, and this was in relation to me. I'm I'm uh, a runner. I'm a beginner in running and I've been a beginner in running for like 10 years mm -hmm. and so I remember a couple of years ago I came up to a person who has been also a beginner in running for some time and I asked him so how do you get faster really so how do I mean you're getting faster you're improving your time I keep being stuck at 13 minutes a mile what do I do and he said to me if you want to run faster just run faster and I looked at him, and there was absolutely nothing I could say to that. It was just so true. Mm -hmm. Why the hell am I not just running faster? So maybe I'll do the walks in the middle, right? But I will eventually do less walks, mm -hmm. and I will end up running faster. And that's what I did, and it started increasing my speed. So now, now, now I'm actually a pretty good runner, well, comparing to what I was before. <laughs> the same thing applies to life to business. 
this is how one year ago I looked at my business and the fact that I've been doing it for nine years and I'm pretty much at the same place where I started except that, well, I have a better scale and I charge a lot more. Mm-hmm. But it's just it's still just me and a couple of VAs and the retouchers. That's mm-hmm. it. What do I do in order to grow? Well, I grow. I take a course on how it's done. I take, I read books on scaling the business and I start learning that. So the moment when you're ready for change, the only thing we need to focus on is changing. I think it's so simple and kind of brilliant. Mm-hmm. It is. I like, I love that simplicity. That's wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, so uh, Irina, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. I, I really appreciate it. If the listeners would like to see more of your work and find you online, where are the best places they can go to do that? Uh, well, I am, surprise, surprise, on Instagram. <laughs> I am Irina Leone. There is a website for Power Portraits where people can go and download some freebies. There is a blog that's kind of budding and becoming so that's exciting and um yes that's where i am obviously i'm on facebook on twitter and pinterest and everywhere else but instagram is my jam okay so instagram and your website excellent i will make sure those links are in the show notes so people can click right through with those cool excellent well thank you so much i have really appreciated your your time and and spending the time to chat with me thank you again thank you yuri it's been this has been fun Great. Have a good evening. You too. Thanks. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Advance Your Art Podcast. If you liked this episode, please go into iTunes and give us a five-star rating. And while you're there, hit the subscribe button so that every single time I release a new episode, it will go directly to you without even thinking about it. If you're interested in hearing older episodes, please go to AdvanceYourArt.com where you can find the catalog of everything I've done so far, as well as contact information and projects I'm working on. Thank you again, and have a great day.